Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. This is Ali Matu, and I'm here with AJ Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going swimmingly. It's seriously the most gorgeous day out today that and we've what seen in, way, that what we've seen in a while. It. Let's spend that gorgeous day indoors recording a podcast. A nerdy uh, podcast, if you will. A super uh, fantastic nerdy podcast. That's right. We're talking about a pretty nerdy uh, topic today. Uh, we're taking on the new film, Ex Machina. I am so freaking excited to talk about this with you. This episodes like this are why I um, love doing this so much with you, Conrad. Because there's so it much. Made, though I will tell you, part of it made me sad that I didn't get to actually see this in the theater with you, because what? it was so it was so just so good. Anyway, one of these days, you and I need to do that. Um, for the record, listeners, everything we review, the we've done it. We watch it separately, except Gotham. That was the one thing you yeah, and I watched I together. Um, and so we've got a great topic, Ex Machina. We've got a really great crossover today. Conrad, what's in the crossover chamber? In the crossover today, we are pitting Ex Machina against Blade Runner. And the oh question I know, and the question is, which AI is more human? So this, which would pass our personal Turing tests, I it's suppose. It's 64 episodes it took us to bring up uh, Blade Runner into the crossover. I'm, I'm surprised it took that long. Um, but it's it's there, and we've got a top five that I've wanted to do for a very long time. Top five robots. Oh my gosh, Conrad, we've got a lot to talk about today. We do have a lot, but I have to, I have to say when doing my robots list, I was... Um, because we did our top, uh, our favorite AI movies when we yeah. talked about her, and th- so I think that there is some overlap there for me, anyway. Yeah, but it's yeah, also yeah. it's also kind of awesome how many cool robots there are out there. Oh, there's um, so many. So you know. real and fictional, both, um, both, yes. So let let's get started here. Um, Ex Machina. Um, let's just take on the term first off. Ex Machina is the Greek for, uh, meaning God from the machine. But Conrad, it's it kind of has been used to describe a narrative device where sort of uh, at the end of a story, everything kind of just becomes resolved. These unsolvable mm. problems just abruptly become uh, fixed and solved uh, in an unexpected, kind of contrived kind of way. Um, so there's that meaning. But I'm wondering if that that ex machina also means uh, it's a little bit more literal, the God from the machine idea as well in this film. Well, I think that's exactly what they're going for here with that play on words. So, And they even talk about it pretty directly in one of the dialogues between yeah. two yeah. characters. So, yes, so, I think that that is, is what's going on here. Um, but before doing a deep dive into this film... Um, let's do a shallow dive let's do a shallow dive and spoiler free I will say just from the get go that if you have not seen this film don't listen to this podcast yet because it's um, I think that this film is a lot more fun if you go into it without knowing a lot of the the 
twists that are yeah, within it. Yeah, I, I'm hoping people will get an opportunity to do that. This is more of an indie sci-fi film, so hopefully it's... I mean, it had a little bit of a uh, viral marketing at South by Southwest uh, where <laughs> the main character was showing up on Tinder mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then was responding to people. But, um, you know, most people haven't heard of this film, so it does work best if you go in without knowing anything. But the very basics here, this is a sci-fi film, a British sci-fi film, Mm-hmm. Um, direct, written and directed by Alex uh, Garland, who many of you will probably remember as the individual who wrote uh, 28 Days Later, wrote Sunshine, wrote Dread. Um, and, the, and The Beach as well, I the believe. The Beach, he was yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now this is his uh, directorial debut. Um, and if you don't know the you will definitely know one actor, uh, Domina Hall Gleason, uh, who many of you know from uh, Harry Potter. Mm. Uh, he played one of the Weasleys. Um, he also is in. Uh, yeah, about- and and his father was in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. As um, Mad Eye Moody, uh, and his father was also in Twenty Eight Days Later. Yeah, uh, Brendan- oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So uh, Brendan Gleason is his name. So it's all in the family, apparently. Here with with uh, Alex Garland and well, the Gleason family. And then, I mean, speaking of all in the family, um, Oscar Isaac is in this film. Who, yeah. if you don't know now, you will know. Isn't it interesting how <laughs> actors are just kind of go through these very like hot moments in time where they're the thing because he's the thing right now he's the thing so he's in this he will you will next see him in a little film called star wars of force awakens as you will see uh dom hall nal gleason as well as well in the force awakens and then you know if you're not a fan of that you'll probably see him in x-men apocalypse Mm. next year so um and And then he's playing apocalypse isn't he i think so yeah so that's gonna be kind of cool and then there's Alicia Vinkender, who, if you don't know now, um, she is getting a lot of accolades for her performance here. You will be seeing her again in The Man from Uncle uh, coming out later this year. Um, I think she's going to be in a lot more roles because um, her performance is really um, captivating in this film. So um, some folks you've seen before, some folks you haven't. But uh, Conrad, what's what's the non-spoilery gist of this film? I would say the non... I, I'm not going to give a total gist, but I would say just sort of as a intro to it, um, the, the film follows um, the main character, Caleb. He's a programmer slash coder for a... It's kind of a Google-like company, and he wins this supposed lottery among the staff um, so that he is and what he has won is a week with the main founder of the company, who is a Bill Gates like character named Nathan. Bill, um, it struck me a little bit. Bill Gates, a little like a little Steve Howard Jobs. Hughes. Um, kind of like, like it, a mystery to this yeah, person. Yeah, like there's a little cross-section between... A little I, Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, a little Willy Wonka, definitely. Um, and so the the founder of this company lives in this very strange, like, isolated... One could only call it really a research bunker, I guess, is that yeah, the, We have what no idea where it is at Right, all. like it's in the, the... You have no idea where the setting of this is, just that it's totally isolated from everything else. There's no cell phone service. It's all just this facility. And so the main character, Caleb, gets there and... 
you know, it's... He has is, no idea why he's there, what no. they're going to be doing, or anything like right, that. Right, right. And he has to sign a non-disclosure, and th- finds out that the the reason he is there, the main purpose of him being there, is to assist Nathan in uh, basically do, having um, running a Turing test on an AI that Nathan has created. I, I I don't think there's much more we can say that. I no, think we can say I, I that the AI is played by Alicia uh, Vinkinder. Um, um, so, but that's, that's that's I think all we can without, say without without yeah, spoiling it for everybody. Those are all the plot deals. Plot details we can say um, in a non-spoilery way. Conrad, what what do you think about this film? I would recommend it. I think uh, Bill actually went to see this with me, as he as he very nicely does for most of the stuff that I, I have to do for our show. And <laughs> when we were talking about it afterwards, one of the things that he said, and I totally agree with, is that this is one of the few true sci-fi films I've seen in a while, mm-hmm. um, where it's not just about the effects, although the effects are phenomenal for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is a bit of a um, a brain bender. There's a lot of twists, and it causes you to think about AI and humans and humans' interactions with the different machines and the different tools. And there's been a lot of debate about the singularity, especially. Have you noticed that a lot lately, Ollie? They're just in terms well, of. Well, we got we got this. We have Chappie. We've yep. got Avengers: Age of Ultron. We I mean, have- it's it's there. It's out there, and so it's interesting that this film is there. But it's dealing with the subject matter in a pretty unique way. Um, and also, yeah. this was an incredibly low budget film. Yeah. for what they were trying to do, and it's an indie film. Um, so, and well, I say incredibly low budget. I guess $11 million is not that low, but... Well, compared to Avengers. Compared or... to Avengers, it is. <laughs> so I shouldn't, you know, it's not... I don't want to lead people to believe that it's like a, you know, $100,000 film, because it's but not. But in terms of scale, it felt like a, something similar to Moon. This yeah, no, a... no, that, that's actually exactly what I was thinking yeah. while we were, you know... Um, it's a small, intimate film. Uh, the The effects are are beautiful, but they are very subtle and very understated. Um, it's a very small cast. It's an intimate story, um, and it's uh, I, I do. This is the kind of sci fi that I love because it's it's not about explosions. It's about ideas, and it does pull you in, and you do leave the theater thinking about different things and there's a lot to dive in and to explore so i'm gonna come out and say um i i enjoyed this film a lot i recommend it to anyone who's interested in science fiction interested in ai in robotics and these questions i will say there's one thing about the film that is highly problematic for me and i've really been struggling with and that's what is that that's really the depiction of gender in this film and i think that that depiction is deliberate so that's why I'm struggling with this, Conrad. And um, I know there's no way we can talk about that without really getting into spoilers. But I, I'm, go- I'm vacillating back and forth between is this intentional? Were these things uh, meant to be raised? Or is this uh, not intentional? And this is uh, just another series of uh, female sexualized kind of fembots that we've seen time and time again. Where, well, yeah. Oh, no, go go ahead. Well, 
I, I, I have an answer for you for this. You know, um, if we look at, um, if we look at her, uh, a film that we reviewed last year and we both really enjoyed and we compare, uh, we compare, uh, Ava, uh, the character in this film versus, uh, Samantha and we compare them against, uh, Hell 9000 or we compare them against Chappie or we compare them against Ultron, um, or we compare them against David from Prometheus. There's genders playing a role very, very different in those characters. Uh, for the quote-unquote male AI, um, they're depicted in a very different way where sexuality uh, and and sort of this uh, femme fatale uh, portrayal is not done with the males, where it almost always consistently seems to happen with uh, with these female uh, AI, even with, with Samantha from her. We, that was a huge part of that. Um, so I, I think there's a discussion to be had. I haven't really necessarily made up my mind about it, but it is something I'm very conflicted about with this film. Well, if you've seen 28 Days Later and other films that Alex Garland has done, I'm going to use 28 Days Later as an example of this. I love 28 Days Later. Um, but basically, to the two main female characters, there is a scene in that film where they're in this zombie apocalypse world or, or viral apocalypse world, if you will. Yeah. And they think that they are going into sanctuary, that there's these soldiers that they finally found that a place where they can be safe and what it turns out is that the the soldiers are actually luring them there um and they are intending to sexually assault both the women and one of the women is a teenager like a 15 year old Mm. girl and i think that alex garland is just because of the way that is portrayed in this film and the way he portrays the character in Ex Machina, characters in Ex Machina, I think he's deliberately trying to point something out. I think it is absolutely deliberate. Um, there was, and he he doesn't, this is the thing about him, is that he doesn't really talk about things a lot. He, his general thing is that he wants people to judge the film and doesn't want to weigh in personally on certain things because he wants the discussion to happen organically and does not want to influence the discussion by what he says i would expect that you may hear him saying something more later but um you know one of the things that he did say here is that um ava is not a woman she is literally genderless and uh, the things that would define gender in a man or woman, she lacks them except in external terms. I'm not even sure consciousness well, itself has a gender. He also he says that there is inequality, and that's one of the things he's trying yeah. to show here. And there's inequality in life today, and I think that that's – I mean, he's. I think he is trying to portray that. I don't know that it's necessarily meant – are you concerned because you think it's meant to be an objectification? Well uh, – I mean that's that's where I'm conflicted, Conrad. Is um, it, it's the portrayal of uh, of AI with a that we are projecting as having a, a female gender uh, versus the male gender, and the, the patterns that emerge there. I I do think that what this movie also does is not only does it raise questions about the future of AI, it also points uh, social commentary towards slavery. Well, right. And, and, and I think that that's where he's going. And there's actually even a section of dialogue within this film, not to, to get into it too much, but there's a whole section of dialogue between the Caleb and Nathan characters about sexuality and why 
Yeah. He would make the uh, the AI female because yeah. Caleb is very feeling very manipulated by certain things that are happening. And I think that because of that bit of dialogue, you can definitely be assured that this was absolutely deliberate. So, but let's why don't we close up the non-spoiler piece yeah, so we can really safe, dive into it. It's safe to say just by the non-spoiler discussion that you and I have already had that this is a film that is interesting, it's complicated, it's refreshing, um, given that we're about to enter that summer movie season where we're going to see a lot of big budget stuff. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have a small, more intimate film that does raise a lot of big ideas. So I recommend it. Conrad, it sounds like you're recommending it as well. Oh, I'm definitely recommending it. I did have, there were certain pieces agreed that I had problems with and probably a little bit along the same lines of you, as you, but I understood, like, I understood it as him trying to make a point, not, not, um, which is, I know it's hard because I agree with you. I think it's uncomfortable to watch certain things within this film, Yeah, but I think he's trying to make us uncomfortable. Um, yeah. and, he, and I think he's trying to raise those questions. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but let's, let's get into our spoiler zone. So, all right, Nerd folks, Lanes. we are venturing into the spoiler zone. Please um, set a course out of here if you have not seen the film. And see uh, it. It opens up, it. It opens yeah. up uh, hopefully, I think at most theaters, I'm hoping, um, pretty soon. I think it soon. opens up April 24th nationwide. Um, it's playing right now in limited release, but it should be coming out very soon uh, nationwide. So, uh, Conrad, let's get into some spoilers here. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. There's the Turing test and how it's depicted. And we can, we've got stuff to talk about there. We've got sexuality to talk about. We have, uh, I always like discussing sexuality. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so much to talk about. Um, wh where, where do you want to begin? Um, well, first of all, I would like to begin by saying how funny I found it that the main character, Caleb, um, Dominal Gleason is in this film because he plays the AI character in the Black Mirror episode. In the Black Mirror episode, totally, um, totally. Which is really, I just kept thinking, like, and which is kind of interesting. Um, the thing about this film is that they really do they they lay out the setting for you pretty pretty nicely, and it moves along quickly enough that you're not feeling like it's dragging. Yeah, that um, pacing's good. It, the pacing's good, but there's enough mystery here that you're kept on your toes. So the Caleb character is flown in by helicopter. You're really given the sense of the fact that the compound, that the Nathan character, who is the creator character, um, he has he as a programmer is um, the kind of a, I don't want to call him a mad genius, but he's a prodigy. Um, it's interesting because he's he has created essentially what is Google or like Google high test for this particular world that we're in. Yeah. Um, but is choosing to live out in this crazy compound in the middle of nowhere. He's very concerned about security. So even from the moment Caleb arrives, he has to and it's a little bit of humor here because he has to like look into a camera and comes up with it's like the terrible license photo um and this key card is what allows him it, you know it's very locked down you do feel very claustrophobic the setting of this film is all within this house and environs other than what the very first scene when you see him in the office caleb in his office so 
Um, and all of that was filmed in a hotel. Yep. And it, it does have this uh, – it's not a very cozy place. It's no. this very, very modern, very cold, very uh, – a lot of blue shades. Um, and every now and then you do get these views outside. But it is this very cold, kind of sterile place. And then you meet uh, you meet Nathan, who is a sort of a hipster. Uh, he's like, like a hipster geek. He's like a hipster geek who's really obsessed with uh, lifting weights. Um, I think a lot of our friends from San Francisco and Silicon Valley will probably identify with right. this character and have probably interacted. Well, and with that's why of- I said the Steve Jobs character because I mean you hear a lot about what Steve Jobs had as certain like quirks and things sure. like that. Um, and I, you know, I, I think anybody who is in that kind of a role where they're the leader of a company or the creator of a company, you're going to get a little bit, a little bit Willy Wonka. Like, I guess you're right. Like this sort of, I don't want to call him a misanthrope, but it's a bit of that. He's very isolated and clearly doesn't trust people. Um, and clearly does does not. And he has such very particular, um, he is, I don't want to say, um, obsessive compulsive because that's not quite where I'm going, but, He's he lives life on his terms and only his terms, which I and guess every, you and everybody, have that much money you could. Yeah, you could, but I mean, so everything you know, even to Caleb's arrival, is controlled by him, um, and Caleb's you know, um, Caleb's first interaction with him, he's very clearly controlling that um so like when caleb arrives he's punching his his whatever uh you know boxing he's doing his kickboxing or whatever it is and you know he has a shirt off and he's all like nonchalantly he's acting totally as if he doesn't care that caleb's there and then you feel like it's a just contrived that he contrived to have this interaction and and says things that tries to put Caleb off kilter which is like let's just get past all the hero worship and all that stuff which is you know what i mean like well and, and think up to that point i was like okay um not really i mean it's i was intrigued by the film and the pacing is good so we're not really stuck with that but i think the movie really uh, the movie begins and ends with Ava when her when that character is introduced that's when maybe but i feel like you have to to talk about that you have to talk about nathan because nathan is so controlling that he's controlling every single aspect of caleb's experience oh sure from from his access to different things in the house he even says things like oh here's your room it's it's so cozy and whatever and then he's like no it's actually not cozy it's claustrophobic you're underground (laughs) and subterranean do you know what i mean like he's trying to manipulate just from the beginning and so and i have to say the portrayal of this character by oscar isaac is brilliant um this character you're he is constantly keeping you off balance and you're just not sure what to think about him you're never really comfortable with no he is totally Uh, an uncomfortable character you feel like he would break your neck or poison you as soon as look as you look at you except if he needed you for something Sure. So and it's, but he's also funny, you know. So there's also this weird, strange sense of humor 
that makes you laugh, but you're still uncomfortable in his presence. Do you know what I mean? So it it's, is, it, it's one of those nice things that science fiction does often where whenever AI is involved, it's, it's often the human characters that are just scariest. Right. Not and the- he's scary. He, he made me, <laughs> he, he creeped me out. He did a good yeah. job. Well, um, so, but, and he's always drinking. He's yep, always, always drinking, always drinking throughout the story. And then there's one point when he doesn't drink and that's sort of the, the, the climax of the film. Right. Um, and so, uh, he, yeah, you're right. He is very much controlling of these experiences. And then when we do meet Ava, um, when we meet this AI, um, and it's it's quite interesting how it's done. Where uh, you know we've talked about the uncanny valley before. We we talked about this um, in her uh, the the whole idea that as something approaches human like appearance but doesn't quite achieve it, that there is this uh, aversion and uh, and disgust that that occurs. And zombie movies capitalize on this. And the whole mm-hmm. idea is we've evolved to have this uncanny valley because that's it's to keep us away from corpses and disease and stuff like that can, that can spread <laughs> the undead. The undead. Dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've evolved to uh, to stay away from the undead um, and the dead. So the thing with Ava is uh, there's this interesting interplay between photorealistic uh, kind of uh, human realistic face and facial expressions, but there is this uh, reveal of the rest of her body. And how she is a machine. And mm-hmm. here the effects are, are great. It was it was all done in this um, kind of interesting combination of like motion capture, where she, um, the actress Alicia Vinkinar, or Vinkinar was wearing this kind of suit, and then they kind of blue screened it, did some fancy CG. But um, the yeah, look but of she does like her just her face, her hands, and her feet have like a human appearance. Yeah. So they're covered in sort of like um, a flesh-like material. Yeah. So you have the, it's a really jarring thing where she is a very lifelike character um, and her portrayal is lifelike but very innocent or at least initially feeling very innocent. Yeah, and so this is a total um, a total change on the ideas of the classic Turing test. So right. Alan Turing and the test he develops, many of you might know his story from um, the imitation game and the, the whole idea is uh, can you create a machine that will be able to fool a human into believing that uh, they are speaking and interacting with a, a, um, a human when in fact it's, it's some form of artificial intelligence. Now, the, the, the flip here, is, the conceit is uh, Caleb knows immediately that he's talking to a machine. Um, and the Turing test that uh, Nathan is, is implementing here is even though you still know this is a machine – um, what what happens next? Do you still be, do you believe that this thing has has consciousness has um, has artificial intelligence? And that's that's an interesting flip on this that we haven't necessarily seen in previous discussions of the Turing test, right? Now, um, and I think um, there's so much interplay here between between. Nathan and Caleb and Ava, because um, Caleb even talks to Nathan about why he would actually see her, because he says that, well, if this was a traditional Turing test, I wouldn't even see her. I would just be interacting with her without seeing her. Yeah. 
And Nathan says, well, no, because we already know that she can do this. So really, it's to judge you on how you interact yeah, with something. Yeah, she's already past that. Right. She's past yeah. that point, um, which is an interesting, that is a very interesting scene within the film. Um, and there's been, we, we should point out, there's been some discussion about the value of a Turing test. Right. Um, that, uh, you know, there's a, a machine that quote unquote passed it, but what it did is it, it fooled humans 30% of the time. And there's been other bots created. Uh, my favorite is the PC therapist that was created in 1991, which basically just kind of reflected back a lot of what you were saying. And, um, people thought that they were talking to a human when in fact, they're just talking to a bot. And so a lot of people say, look, this is like a 50 year old test. What would be a better test now is to see if an AI can watch like a YouTube video and then tell you what it's all about and be able to have a discussion about it. Um, some AI researchers say that is, you know, the better modern test. And then, you know, 10, 20 years from now, we might have a new way of understanding what might be a better test of, of AI. So our tests of what, me, what makes something conscious and our and the technology of consciousness that's all changing it but is. it it does raise these interesting questions well it does R- because it's also and we talked you and I talked quite a bit about this uh with her yeah which is you know so well, this turing test is about whether something has their own thoughts that are not programmed that are um of their own making that something that they are coming up with on their own. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are human thoughts. Well, it's the whole idea of is, is a machine, is it replicating? Right. Is it imitating and replicating? And so, and and they talk, and they talk about this a lot. And so, um, can I make like, just in terms of Caleb in this film has, the way that he interacts with Ava is very controlled. So she's in a box. He's on the other side of the glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's asking her questions and interacting with her. And, you know, you can tell from the get-go that he likes her. Yeah. Um, or that he's, he's intrigued by her. He's more than intrigued, though, um, as the, the Tesco one. He's got a crush on her. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as she this, is quite pretty. I must she say. is. She is very pretty. Um, but as the, the film kind of unfurls its different ideas, um, one of the things I th- was thinking of during this is that there, I knew that there was going to be a twist. I thought yeah. that the twist was going to go very Blade Runner and either Caleb or Nathan were actually going to turn out to be A.I.'s. Well, th- um, and they do. I think Caleb sort Caleb of thinks this. Caleb, you know, living in this claustrophobic little world, Caleb actually ends up cutting into himself to yeah. figure out whether he is or not. And you can totally see how that might happen. Um, but I thought, and and I really did think that maybe Nathan was not actually Nathan; that he was like a rendering of himself, and that was going to be the true test. Um, they play with your mind on a lot of different levels here. To keep you off balance. Um, so where it went in the end, I was kind of expecting something like that. Not quite like yeah, that. Yeah, I was. I, I think it's similar for me. One of the reveals is uh, Kyoko, uh, his uh, assistant. Nathan, Nathan's assistant. Nathan's yeah. assistant is actually a. Um, I don't know if I want to say a more limited AI. 
Um, well, he's programmed her to basically be a sexual partner as well as a servant. A servant, um, a slave. And a dancer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the dancing scene, I will say, is one of my favorite scenes in this whole film because it just shows you how great a job um, that Oscar Isaac does here. Um, he yeah. really, this is, to me, this is the epitome of how his character keeps you just totally guessing because you think it's going to be one reaction. He has shown up to this point that he gets his way. If he doesn't get his way, um, he can be totally um, angry. His, he's got a temper on him. Um, and but he, it's, it's the simmers, scariest type of anger. It is, because Conrad. it it's simmers that cold, up. Ooh, it's that yeah. cold-blooded, controlled anger. Yep. That and is it, and so it bubbles dangerous. Up, and it bubbles up really quickly, but he's able to hide it or at least tamp it down a little bit so that it isn't always showing, but you know it's still there under the surface, so it's kind of, it's terrifying. So there's this one scene where Caleb uh, comes across Kyoko alone, and she starts to undo her shirt because that's really what she's been programmed for. She yeah. thinks that he wants to have sex with her. And he, you know, is horrified by this and is like, no, no, don't do that. And uh, Nathan comes across this scene. And your initial reaction is that because I had a feeling she was probably an AI, but I wasn't positive. But either way, you think he's going to be mad that Caleb's playing with his toy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And instead, he's he throws in this whole weird little off-kilter scene where he's like, well, you sh- you're wasting time talking to her, but were you to dance with her? <laughs> and then he goes into this crazy dance routine with her. And it's really it's a really fantastic scene because... He's dancing complete with like disco lights, and Caleb is looking on like, "Where am I? Yeah. What is this surreal thing going on?" And it is a fantastic scene, and it's it's really, I think, such a great um, reveal in this film, just of the nature of the experience that Caleb is going through, as well as the experience Nathan is going through. So, and, and we later find out that, that Kyoko, it, not only is Kyoko uh, this AI uh, sex slave servant, but we also find out that there are there are other uh, models. Um, I think there's, I think we see at least three or no, I think we at least see like five other models and Caleb does break into some of his systems by getting Nathan drunk and uh, looks at these uh, video records and, and finds these other models and that he's been, that not only has he been using these models as slaves, but that they have been held as slaves and um, were trying to escape yeah, like it, get out. Like they definitely have feelings of like his experiments are truly uh, you feel very like Dr. Moreau feelings here or like Frankenstein feelings Absolutely. here. Um it, there there's, you know, Nathan does not have any he does not view any of the, his creations as human, clearly. So whether they're passing the Turing test or not, he views them as tools that he can use as slaves and there are really disturbing scenes um, within this film. I did find that sort of the reveal of his past models and the objectification that you and I were talking about before, I did find some of it to be a little bit unnecessary. So this um, is this is one so problem. I, yeah. yeah, so I was like, I think that they're showing it to reveal just how Nathan views the the fact that he doesn't view them as human that it's not a big deal that it's okay in his mind to treat them 
as objects because that's how he views them. So, so no matter no matter how lifelike or you know amazing they are, um, he doesn't view them that way. He views them as things that he can uh, basically break down for parts at any time, uh, keep hanging in his closet in various forms of of whatever construction. Yeah, Conrad, it's kind of weird. It's a little Conrad, bit over the top. I, I so I need some help with this. Yeah. Um, as as a male, uh, as someone who identifies as male in the society, um, I, and as someone who identifies as an ally with um, lots of different causes, um, I, I find it highly problematic, the, the objectification of female bodies. And you and I have talked about this over and over and over again, whether it's our Culture and Comics episode, our Wonder Woman episode, or just in pretty much most major movies where there are few women, the representation is poor, or they're objectified in some way. So I, I, I get that a big part of this is... Um, the director, the writer here commenting on the objectification of right. women. And by uh, the way, the Caleb character is portraying what I think would be most, I would hope, most allies and most people's viewpoints. He's horrified yeah. by the behavior. So he is definitely the conscious or, or the conscience of this film. Yeah, but it's my problem and what uh, I need to, I need to think this through with you um, is I find it problematic to comment and discuss the objectification of women by objectifying women and objectifying women's bodies and by showing women's bodies as pieces. And uh, there's a lot of nudity in this film and it's all on female bodies. Um, I, I find that to be problematic. I get that it's intentional. I get that it's supposed to be creepy. I get that this is, uh, you know, the director has said things about how um, this is to comment a little bit about where girls and women are in society and how we treat them culturally. But it's doing that by objectifying and by well, doing the exact thing. It is, that except, that, except that in the end, the main character turns the tables on everybody. Because yeah. this is the thing is that as as great as Caleb as you know he's a good person they make that very clear they even say that uh, Ava has like a little bit of a lie detector thing going on with him is asking him questions and one of the things she asks him is such a Blade good? Runner moment Blade it Runner really moment is. right there it really that is. scene yeah and um, it really is such a Blade Runner moment <laughs> and this is the thing that even though Caleb in the end sides with Ava. He wants to help her escape, even though he knows that he's being manipulated, and he has some sense of that. Um, in the end, neither he, both he and Nathan, are surprised by the fact that Ava has her own thoughts, and that she has her own agenda. Um, and even though Nathan very, he says it outright, that he has programmed her or told her that her only exit out is Caleb... So that's a commentary on the fact that, you know, you're not going to get anywhere without a man. Yeah. Um, and so, but Ava uses him. She she does, she basically d does have her own agenda and in the end ends up killing her creator, very Frankenstein there, and just kind of tosses Caleb aside. So, and, and just goes and does her own thing and goes out into the world on her own. And the last scene in this film is of her doing her own thing and something that she had talked about doing. 
Um, and I think that that's what they were trying to do in the end. But I do feel like I agree with you that the objectification, did it really need to go as far as it did? I don't think so, but I think that that's the point that he was trying to hit home and just really smack you in the face with it. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. Like, do you do you rail against the objectification of women by showing women in this way? Yeah. And I think he's trying to show how how heinous it really is. And I I understand that, but I also hear the uncomfortable piece of it and I felt the same way while watching it. Um there's well, several there's, there's one specific scene at the end which I felt was absolutely unnecessary and this is the scene where you could have just she so she's been Ava has been walking around in this half robotic half human sort of form. Yeah. So she's got her face but she doesn't have hair. Mm-hmm. She has her hands and feet but the rest of her body you can clearly see that she is a robot or an android, whatever you want to call it. And she discovers the various models that Nathan has sort of tossed aside or is keeping in cold storage in his room and starts to take the skin off of them and put it on herself. And I feel like that whole scene was drawn out and unnecessary. You could have just shown her putting part of the skin on that and skip to the next part where she's actually dressed. Well, Um, so it's it's problematic on on a couple of levels. One, she does take the skin off models that have uh, a different ethnicity and different skin. Oh, yeah. No, that was the other thing. They also have totally different body types. So the the main person that she's... Yeah, (laughs) there's definitely a problem. Bill and I were talking about this because one of the... She's taking the skin off of this. Clearly, this woman is some kind of a model, much lankier than her. Um, different skin tone, her arm, like, and she kind of steals one of her arms because her arm has been destroyed. Yeah. And I'm just like, just proportionally, you would look super weird if you did that. So, so it's weird. Uh, <laughs> it's also, it's a, it, it's a strange thing about race and ethnicity. I don't know that, that scene did feel strange. And then again, I don't know if we needed the extent to which we, we see the nudity with this, with this character, um, there as well. It just felt like more objectification of, of female bodies. And so I think that's problematic. All of that being said, um, there's some really big issues that are raised here about, artificial intelligence and I think uh, slavery as well. So it reminded me of um, this great keynote I saw at South by Southwest and it's, it's on YouTube um, with uh, Martine Rothblatt. Have you heard of this individual, uh, Conrad? She is the uh, highest paid uh, female CEO in the country, uh, the founder of uh, um, Geostar and C- um, Sirius XM. And has oh, are you talking about the panel where she was talking about powerful women and they were interrupting her in the entire panel? No, 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 no. Not that one. Not that one. This was just her oh, okay. uh, being interviewed. And uh, what's fascinating is this uh, Rothband uh Rothblatt, I should say, sorry, is someone who's created a uh, preliminary AI, which Mm. is a head uh, modeled after her wife. And she 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 just came out with this book, and it's it's really fascinating stuff. Oh, Um, she wrote she wrote Virtually Human, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And she's a CEO of um, of this robotics company, and is basically. 
talking about this whole idea of mind clones, that we're, mm. we're getting close to a time in which we will be able to create a clone of our own intelligence. Which and, is similar to, interestingly enough, the Black Mirror episode. Oh, that, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the woman is mourning and uh, because her... Her husband, or I don't know if he's her husband or not, but anyway, he's played by Domhnall Gleeson, and he goes off, gets into a car accident, and she basically is able to order a clone with his, it's not quite him, but it's his intelligence and pattern as gleaned from his interaction with social media. Yeah. And that's a little bit of what she's talking about in very simplistic terms. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, with her and her company, United Therapeutics, um, they're kind of exploring what's going to happen here. Because as as the mind clones, as this artificial intelligence develop, we're going to get to a point where it's going to be hard to tell if they are conscious or if they're not. And so she talked about how we're going to need psychologists to spend a year with the AI and really understand if they have awareness of themselves, if they have social, what we call um, objective self-awareness. And then if, we do, if they do, if they're aware of themselves as a social object, if they have independent agency, then it's going to reveal big questions about humanity. Like we, every living being deserves the right to be in whatever state that they want to be in. So, well, and she's transgender. She's so, transgender. She's and she, calls, she also calls herself a, a transhumanist, which I think is kind of cool. She is so um, awesome. And she's basically saying that, you know, uh, by the idea, the whole idea of the mind clones is that humans can be free. Um, if you haven't read, the, have you read the book? Because it's really I fascinating. Read the book. No, have you? Yeah, it's really, oh, cool. really fascinating. Um, I, I just didn't, I read a lot, so I was not, I, I forgot the name, but she's very, very cool. Um, but she's talking a lot about how limited humans are, that we kind of put things on ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like at least in the things that we think about um, in terms of gender and power and um, and sexism. But there's also the, the other piece of it uh, that she talks about is that by doing this, you can also... Um, you know, you can basically live forever, even after your body dies. So, so you're like the limits that are placed upon us by our mortality are, would be gone. And this is where it's this discussion and movies like this and these ideas are so relevant not only to the future and what's upcoming, but so relevant to now. So Rothblatt talks a lot about uh, transgenderism, um, but also there's a relevance here to slavery, that people should be valued as they value themselves. If people want to be free, they need to have the right to be free. And um, Conrad, I don't know if you've seen the Black Mirror Christmas special episode yet. I haven't yet. Oh, it, I, I think... I'm not going to spoil it because you need to go into that. And it's it's hard to watch. And I might have watched it in a means that is not necessarily uh, easily accessible. Because it's not available on Netflix or iTunes or any of that in the United States. But this Christmas special episode that came out in December explores this issue um, so exquisitely, and I think it does it better than Ex Machina or the, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. But this is 
there's real world relevance right now as we think about human trafficking and as we mm-hmm. think about civil rights and the right um, for you to be the gender as you identify, the right for you to be with the person you want to, to be with. Um, it, it's Or even really, if you don't, there, there are some people that consider themselves to be asexual. Absolutely. So maybe gender isn't even a piece of that. So that's kind of interesting, too. Yeah, it gets really, really interesting. And I think when Ex Machina is really working and um, uh, it, it does raise these ideas that this is this being does not want to uh, is aware of themselves, is intelligent is uh is complicated and oh well see this is the thing and this is one of the points of discussion that i wanted to chat about with you is she or is she programmed as as the i think you're meant to question this because even though she has the goal of getting out uh nathan during like the big reveal when he tells um he tells caleb that he's kind of part of the experiment that he basically programmed her to get out of this cage, which is the house and research facility. And he was the key to do that. So she is using all these tactics, sexuality and flirting and sympathy and uh, problem solving in order to get out of the trap of the cage. So is she, is she actually having these things or is she programmed to do these things? So is that that is that is a big question. It's a big question. I think everyone who walks out of this theater seeing this film is probably going to have a different different idea about that. Um, Like what happens? Like so, she has this goal to get to the crosswalk. You know? Yeah. Uh, Do we know that that goal is something that she has or that has been programmed into her? What happens after the crosswalk? You know? Well, and then to some degree. So, this is also something that's raised in the film. Um, uh, our programming. Yeah. How much you and I are biologically programmed. How well, much- and, and they talk about sexuality within a very tiny conversation, as well as the fact um, in surrounding the conversation about sexuality and why Nathan made, gave her a gender. Yeah. And the, he goes right to the place where, you know, and it's super uncomfortable where he talks about the fact that what he, he, he says, what Caleb's really thinking is, can he have sex with her? And will she enjoy it? And the answer is yes. And he programmed her to do that. Yeah. And there's such this really icky feeling, just creepy feeling listening to this discussion because it really just hits home exactly what Nathan views women as. Yeah. Um, and also, but he thinks that other people view them this way too. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's this, this is the only purpose they serve. Right. So there's this assumption within this that, that Caleb must be on his team because he's, and Caleb keeps saying, no, that's actually not what I was asking you. I was asking you why it was necessary to even do this. And they have this whole discussion surrounding that. And I think that that's, um, it's one of the, there's a lot of interesting discussions within this film um, where it, you are seeing these opposing viewpoints. Um, and, and the best sci-fi really does get to this point. This, the right. best sci-fi when it takes on AI gets to this point where you're wondering, okay, um, and, and um, specifically I'm thinking of The Measure of a Man, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation episode oh, yeah, where, yeah. where Data is put on trial. And there's a question of is Data – 
is Data alive? And Captain Picard um, makes this argument that is he really that different from us? He mm-hmm. has wiring and electron or uh, you know electricity flowing through him. I don't know if it's electricity, whatever it is. But we have uh, we have blood and we have biological wiring. And is that really that different? He's programmed um, with uh, with a computer program. We are programmed through biological programming and genes. And you know, there's a lot that we inherit from our genetic programming, and then our genetics and our biology interplay with the environment to produce who we are. We're learning computers. Um, Are we really that different? And then, okay, let's say, well, they're really just mimicking, but it's really fancy mimicking. Um, Does that matter? And Caleb even says, you know, is this, and and Nathan brings this up too, is this just imitating and and sort of the... um, is this sexuality that Ava is portraying and this flirting that she is, because she is clearly flirting with the Caleb character, is this to confuse the situation? Is this to make Caleb not recognize other things about her? A bit of um, a sleight of hand to to basically confuse the issue so that he is not able to really clearly run the terrain test. Yeah, well, that makes me think of the Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. And one of the things that he says is, I'm a learning computer, that he is constantly changing his actions and behaviors to better meet his goal. Um, And, you know, his goal varies depending on which Terminator you're watching and who knows what the heck's happening in that new Terminator Genesis. But um, if we think about it, how some... Some philosophers and psychologists might argue that that's no different from humanity. I know B.F. Skinner, who was a radical behavioralist, thought everything is really uh, – every behavior is a result of the environment who argued, you know, you give me any child and give me any environment and I can create – I can lead them to become, you know, great thinkers, uh, doctors, lawyers or criminals and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, is that really that different? Is our behavior, what you and I are doing, really that different from doing something, seeing how the environment responds? and then changing our behavior as a result like that's how a lot of flirting in real life works well and then there's what works right and then there's also this this big reveal um in one of the final scenes between nate and caleb in the film where caleb realizes that he has been manipulated even more so than he thought um uh, and this is oh, actually yeah. this is actually one of the problematic problems I have with the film is that there's there's a scene w- where Nathan is trying to flatter Caleb and says something to him that he's the best coder in the company, and I don't think Caleb is dumb, but I think he would know if he was the best coder in the company. Yeah, you know, and so I don't. I mean, I don't think because the that, original idea is it's a lottery, and then it's revealed that. This was He's, not a lottery. No, it was not a lottery. He was chosen to do this. They basically designed Ava to appeal to Caleb. So basically, he used his porn history. His porn history, everything he <laughs> inputted into to what would be the search engine, and in fact, that's how Ava was also created. Yeah. Um, to interact because of, of just all the data 
that Nathan was scraping from Blue Book, which is the equivalent of Google. Which um, so that that right there, Conrad, there's a lot to explore with that too, mm-hmm. with this big data and what right. is being revealed by Google searches, by analytics, by social media and Twitter, that through this through our global contributions to to Google, to Twitter, to Facebook, we are understanding we have the ability to understand human behavior and thought in such a, a aggregated, massive way that well, has and people, never been possible. Before. True, and people also have the ability to manipulate that. So we saw... and You've seen this with there, Facebook. Well, I was about to say, the strange experiments that I, and I think highly unethical experiments, quite frankly, that they were running which was to see if they could affect people's moods by the things that they were revealing to them with their algorithm. And so that's exactly what happened. And that is what happened. And then, you know, this is, I was actually thinking about that as I was watching this film and Caleb's interactions with Ava. No, it's it's really, you're you're right on here. Facebook, um, what they claimed is in their, uh, in their user policy, there's a clause for this research, but what um, a lot of uh, individuals found out is they added that clause after they had started the study. So there isn't necessarily what is the standard in every research, which is informed consent. You know what you're getting into and what you're signing up for. That didn't happen. And Facebook had this manipulation of mood based on what was being posted. So we know that this stuff not only can we understand behavior, but we can change it as well. And so that is opening up. What I love about that, Conrad, is they just kind of, that was just one little drop in the bucket of this film that it doesn't kind of hit you over the head with like, big data is changing everything. Google understands who you are better than you do, blah, blah, blah. But it was through these little conversations Mm -hmm. and um, through those very subtle conversations, there's these, you know, neurons firing in your head and you're like, oh man, that's interesting. Well, this, yeah, oh, well, yeah. There's so much that you, you can dive into and explore as a result of this film. Right. So, uh, you know, just I I think that there's so much to discuss about it, but I also think that and this is what I as you said, this is the point of and this is what really good sci-fi does is causes all these conversations. And there's many different levels of conversations you can have here. I, you know, the the objectification of women within this film, I I feel uneasy about it. But even though I do understand why it was done, I, I really do wish that they had handled the... I feel like if they were going to get their point across, they should have handled the last scenes a little differently. Yeah. Um, did you feel that as well? <sighs> yeah, I, I really... Just, I, I really wish they, you know, quite honestly, I really wish they hadn't put her in, like, a dress and heels. I yeah. kind of wish she had just kind of, you know... I don't know, that that just... To me, just the way that they have her walking out um, is a little strange. Um, but especially since she's walking out in heels into like the great wilderness, um, and I guess she eventually she is carrying them, but it, at some point. But it, I don't know. Like it would have been to me that just sort of puts it right back where he didn't want it to go, where she's just this femme fatale, I guess. Yeah, femme fatale, kind of a fembot. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, the, the the two the two female AI creatures 
Um, they do interact with each other, but they don't talk. So here's again another another film that doesn't pass a Bechdel test, which is well, uh, they talk, but we don't hear what they're saying. Oh, uh, okay. So I don't know if that counts or not. It half counts, I guess. Um, that is an issue. That is a problem here, and um, I, I think if we look at, um, I guess what I'm saying is that I would have liked to see it turned on its head even more uh, than he did. And yeah, I mean, that's it, it that's ends- what I was. It ends with those classic tropes. Right. And if it hadn't, I feel like it would have been a lot more powerful. Absolutely. I think that's what would have elevated Ex Machina to a classic. Right. Which and I, think I it- don't mean to be going sort of the roundabout way, but it's something I've been thinking about so much after seeing it. So I'm I'm glad that you and I had the time to discuss it. And we could spend a lot more time yeah. discussing it because this is one of our favorite topics. And I think, um, I do, okay, two two questions to wrap this up. One. So do you think she's alive? I feel like she is programmed. I think she is programmed to get out and it's it's supposed to be somewhat unclear. She might be. I don't think she's programmed to get out. I think he Nathan would have programmed that out of her if he could. And I think given what he saw with some of his trials and the other models and how they were so violently trying to get out um i th- and how much nathan was trying to keep them in um i i think if she is programmed it doesn't matter because she's close enough to being alive right. and human as you can probably get and i think that that leads me to my next question do you think in our lifetimes, Conrad, we are going to see AI? Oh, I do. Yeah. I think we're getting really close. I think we're pretty close. So I think it's it's going to happen. Um, oh but God. as you and I have talked I'm about... Scared. I'm a little scared, too. <laughs> uh, welcome, our robot overlords. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think... I think the way that humans envision things like it happening, I think it's going to happen in much smaller ways, and it will happen in ways that we're not anticipating it's gonna happen subtly and i don't i you know humans have uh uh, humans have a lot of habituation we get used to things around us we get used to Mm -hmm. things that stay the same we well and i'm I'm gonna but i'm gonna use facebook as an example where people you know different members of different generations use facebook in different ways and have different levels of comfort with sharing information yeah and i i hear this in conversations with people that are younger than me and I'll admit to you it it scares me how much information people are willing to put out there about themselves absolutely and so um, but and, at the same and, time but at the have, same time that's what you know there are some positive things about that but and, and you have such acceptability of facebook and of cell phones and of um, so much technology that 10, 15 years ago was never around. And I think that's what's going to happen is when the singularity occurs, it's going to be in such a gradual way. And we're going to be so used to a lot of the precursors of true right. AI. Well, as, might as, not they, even as they portrayed in her, that. I think. Yes. Uh, and you and I talked a lot about this when we discussed her. And I think that you're right. I think that there's going to be people will become subtly, they'll become comfortable with things 
that they almost don't even realize that it's happening. So by the time it does happen, it's not going to cause this big wave. People, I think, will yeah. probably just accept it and maybe not even fully realize that that's what it is what until it is. a little bit later. So Until Skynet becomes activated. Until Skynet. Yeah, Bill, Bill Gates had a famous quote about you make a lot less progress in two years uh, than you think and you make a lot more in 10 years than you realize. And so the, the whole idea is in technology, when you're very close to it, as it's slowly developing, it's developing incrementally. Um, so you don't really necessarily see all the big changes that are happening. But if you look in over the big term and you look at you know 10-year perspectives, massive changes occur. I mean, just think about where we were in uh, 2005. We didn't have smartphones the way we do now. Having the internet in your pocket was not a thing. Vast parts of the world did not were not wired for cell phones like like we are now. So there's so much more we could talk about, Conrad. But I think uh, I think we need to move forward. Um, Time for a pretty quick crossover chamber. Let's do it. Let's open up the doors on the infinite crossover chamber. Welcome. I don't. I don't have a sound effect, Conrad. What? You don't have an ex machina sound? <laughs> no. What's the ex machina sound? Well, if we could make that cool little sound effect that they have of the androids moving around, that little whirring. That thing's kind of weird, right? Yeah, and whatever. Yeah, I don't know. That's. Not as cool as that. It almost sounded like <laughs> corduroys, like rubbing against each other yeah, a little yeah. bit. Um, so, who do we have here in the crossover? In the crossover, what do we have? in the crossover chamber, it's going to be pretty fast. I think we have Ex Machina versus Blade Runner. Which AI is more human? So, which would pass our terrain test? So, I think we kind of talked about Ex Machina. Uh, you're you're on the side that she's probably programmed, and I'm saying... I'm not fully convinced that that's what she is yet. That uh, that I'm not fully convinced of her, of whether she is imitating and whether it's her programming or whether it's her own um, self-motivated behavior. So here's the question. We know in Ex Machina we're talking about Ava. In Blade Runner, who's the AI we're talking about? Well, I think you could do it with either Harrison Ford's character. Um, dun, dun, dun. Which I know is a big, you know. Um, it, I think it, the statute of limitations on Blade Runner spoilers has, has uh, expired. Maybe, but you know what? People may still be angry at us. Who knows? But anyway, yeah, there it is out there. Um, <laughs> most people think that the, the Harrison Ford character is is also a, uh, a replicant. Um, but I, th- I think you can also think of it um, in terms of um, the... The other character that he's basically sent to run the Turing test on, played by Sean Yeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, in this particular, I think I'm going to use I'm going to use her character because she isn't aware that she's a replicant. Rachel, I think. Rachel. Is the, yeah. And there's also Roy Batty. Right. Isn't that, yeah, the the other dude who's the Rucker Hauer. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. So, the in the in the Blade Runner, the, the premise of the story is that the replicants are basically slave labor that are used for various things. Um, they're used for sex. They're used for, um, for like physical labor, um, you know. And and again, in this film, the female replicants are really used for sexual purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we see that theme here as well. 
but there is and to keep the replicants in line they all have an expiration date where they are set to basically just turn off and die um at a certain point in time um then this group of replicants escapes and deckard who's the 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 character played by harrison ford is you know he is basically investigating and trying to track them down um he runs these these tests to determine whether people are replicants or not uh and one of the you know during the course of his travels and tracking these down he meets rachel and she rachel is kind of like Ava in that she is a prototype for a new kind of replicant. Mm -hmm. And so she has no idea that she is this. Uh, The other replicants know what they are. Um, So I think just for me, she is a better example of, of the singularity of, of a human than Ava is because she doesn't know that she is one. And, you know, she is, she is doing different things. She does have implanted memories, but her interactions are, she is very upset. Um, she has human reactions and it's, to me, there is a fear that you have for her character in this film. Um, I didn't, you know, I felt a lot of sympathy for Ava, Ava but I still didn't necessarily feel that she was human. In fact, I more felt that she didn't under, you know, I didn't feel like she was, um, I didn't feel like it was, and I think this was probably deliberate in the film, I didn't feel like it was cut and dry about whether the Turing, she had passed the Turing test. Mm. Well, so this is what's, I think the main difference here is AI that is aware that of itself as AI versus AI that is not aware of itself as AI. Right. And we see that with uh, Decker's character, which, you know, there's always a little question mark whether or not their uh, Decker is a replicant. I think he is. I think you also agree with that. Um, some, some doubt that, uh, but that's, well, maybe we'll find out at Blade Runner 2, which is actually a thing that's happening happening um but in ex machina we have ava who is very much aware um of herself as an artificial intelligence and she can just look in the mirror and has that objective self-awareness that i am this is me in the mirror i am a thing and i am a thing that is a a robot um an android um, and we've seen, you know, Blade Runner's had a huge impact on other science fiction. Battlestar Galactica often makes references to Blade Runner and, um, uh, and, and also has storylines with these artificial intelligent life forms who aren't aware of themselves as being Cylons. Um, mm-hmm. so, well, I'm kind of wondering, our question is which AI is more human? And I, I feel at this point, Rachel is more human. And if you want to talk about... <laughs> well, she doesn't know that she isn't human. Well, that's so. why. So I feel like... Well, no, because... Conrad, this did is, you just bias this whole uh, infinite crossover chamber? No, but by? this is the thing, is that Ava, if if the question is more human, it isn't the question who is... Um, just as I said before, just because this AI will, if, it, if AI has its own 
thoughts and motivations they aren't necessarily human thoughts and motivations well we're going to have to we to really do this we would have to define what does it mean to be human right so and to, isn't that the question that all this is sort of it's all this dancing around that's the question and so we know there's a few things being able to be uh, the classic mirror test looking in a mirror and recognizing yourself as a social object as opposed to another thing there's not many species on the planet that can do that humans can um, and few others can but uh, a lot of creatures can so being aware of yourself I think Ava and uh, Rachel both are aware of themselves as beings um, and then having some sort of complex intelligence. I think both Ava and Rachel have that and we could throw in Decker into that as well. Um, a, a wish to survive and to continue living. Um, both of them very clearly have that. They both also show complicated emotions and react to their environments. Um, just because one looks human and one thinks human, I, I don't think it takes away from Ava's humanity. All right. But I don't know. I, I <laughs> my, my gut for her and my interaction, like my feelings about her during the film were not, they were more feeling as if I was being manipulated and not as if I felt like she was human. So I had sympathy for her, but it wasn't necessarily because she was acting as a human, if that mean, makes sense. Um, yeah, it's I, because it, she's a being, but not necessarily a human being. And I still could feel sympathy for her, but it's not the same way that I was feeling for Rachel, which is that this this thing this creature being whatever you want to call it actually believes and interacts with humans and believes herself to be human, um, which I reacted to her as if she was human. Well, so I, th I don't think we see enough of Ava in different contexts and situations to really know. We, we only see her um, basically enslaved. And, well, and that's and the thing is, so confined. if you're if, with what we see, I feel like Rachel wins but maybe that would change if we got to see more of Ava in the outside world. Yeah, that's why I, I'm voting a draw here. I mean, I, I think Blade Runner is obviously the better movie, but that's not what we're debating here. Um, we're debating which which AI is more human. And I'm going to have to say it's a draw. I think in the context that Ava is in, she is, she is reacting as probably a savvy human being would and using everything at their disposal to try to... Um, get out of there. Um, so I think that's very smart on her behalf. She's She can improvise. She uses tools around her environment. She's able to trigger those power surges and all that sort of stuff. I think Rachel is shows many aspects of humanity, as does Deckard. Um, but we just... We don't see Ava in enough situations. Um, all right, but then so. you're saying that Rachel actually wins. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's a draw. I'm saying it's a draw. All right, Conrad. I'm going to say if that Rachel wins. So that, <laughs> so that's it. Uh, so draw for you, and I say Rachel wins. But, but dear listeners, let us. We could us talk about this forever. So I want to hear what the listeners have to say. Yeah, let us know what you think and um, who wins in this debate. Is it Ex Machina or Blade Runner? Um, with that, let's close up the doors. On the infinite crossover chamber, and and clearly I'm excited to get on to the top five because I wanna I wanna go through this, but 
with you. But uh, in the top five, just as a reminder, is our top five robots. So I can't wait to hear what's on your list, Ali. I've got a lot of stuff on my list. And so at first I was I was thinking about what does a robot mean and robot versus Android, did a little research. And I've, uh, the, the way I did my list is uh, robot or Android. Base, the basic difference is an Android must be in some type of human form, whereas a robot can be in multiple forms. But I didn't really include um, AI that doesn't necessarily have some type of body. So like Samantha from her... Um, wouldn't necessarily be on my list. So all my stuff has some is in some type of physical form. Okay, some type mine's of- in a physical form, but I didn't necessarily put them in a yeah. The, like I, I didn't necessarily put them in a human body though. So. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. Okay. Um, and I tried to mix it up a little bit, but there are, there's probably some repeats from our AI movies episode. Yeah, uh, it's hard not to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's let's launch in, and so. Uh, what was your number five? My number five is from an episode that I have mentioned before. Uh, this was something I mentioned during our Remembering Leonard Nimoy episode. And it's Adam Link, who is from the original series, The Outer Limits. Um, oh, good one. I, Robot. Um, so just kind of a brief synopsis of this episode. A robot is put on trial for allegedly killing, uh, murdering um, uh, a, a man in, in their home. Um, it's claimed that this was done as an accident, and then Leonard Nimoy is the lawyer, sort of, uh, who represent a lawyer or a reporter? Forget. I think he's a lawyer in the episode. Um, but he is representing this robot, and then uh, stuff goes from there. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. It's a really great story and it like ex machina likes like blade runner it does um it's interesting because we put we put these robots on trials i know we we did it with uh in star trek we've done in balsary galactica um and it's really interesting to to do that because it 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 brings up these questions of is this person alive? What does it mean? It reveals prejudice and stereotypes that we might have against these artificial life forms. So I really love that episode for a number of reasons. And the ending just boom, it hits you real hard in the in the way that the best Twilight Zones did. You know, well. I know I've seen this episode, but I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm gonna have to watch this it's really worth it conrad it, it's uh they, they did a remake of it with a um updated the outer limits series but uh the original is the one i love the best it's so good um cool. what's your number five um my number five was actually the tars robots from interstellar oh yeah they're so cool because i was trying to think of things you know we we talked a lot about that film and there were some issues that we had with the film. However, the robots were not one of them. I really liked the portrayal of the robots. Um, I liked the portrayal of their personalities. I thought that they added so much to that film that wouldn't have been there. And they also looked super cool. Yeah. Um, I just loved how they moved and the effect of that on the film. And they really stood out as their own characters as they were interacting with the human characters in the film. So... I had to I had to put them on this list because there was there was something that I just really enjoyed about them in this film that was if they had not been there I think I would have I would have had had even more issues with it. <laughs> so, 
What, what I like about them is uh, the look. Yeah, no, how- they looked so cool, you know, yeah. and how they moved was really amazing. Um, and how they interacted with the humans, like carried them and the way that they, they worked um, – the way that they were used in the film was was very clever. There's something very familiar about them mm-hmm. and then at the same time very alien. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Good pick. Uh, well, the familiarity about them is similar to my number four. My number four pick is HAL 9000. Um, is HAL on your list at all, Conrad? HAL wasn't on my list because we talked about him so much. Yeah. So I tried to kind of, I tried to, you know, there's a lot of people on my honorable mentions. But yeah. Hal is my one repeat from previous episodes. So Hal, we talked about in our Her episode, we we mashed up Samantha versus Her in our crossover chamber. And then we talked about Hal again when we were talking about our Oscars Oscars episode where we did um, uh, Star Wars versus uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So there's not a lot more I want to say about Hal beyond um, the reason why I had to put him on this list is uh, I was thinking of iconic characters, characters that you, that you remember. And then when it comes to artificial intelligence, the one that always comes to mind is HAL 9000. And what's so cool about HAL is, and what's kind of ruined in the sequel, um, and you kind of find out why he did some of the things that he did, but if you just look at Space, uh, or 2001 A Space Odyssey, this idea of survival, that Hal is trying to preserve um, himself, herself, itself. And um, that idea is really interesting. And it, it is one of those definitions we look to um, when it comes to, um, is this thing actually alive? Um, does it want to survive? Does right. it want to maintain its own life? And is it aware of itself and aware of threats to itself as well? So that's why I had to pick Hal. Well, I kind of in the so, sort of the same vein, but I picked um, Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide, which is the uh, it's sort of a failed prototype of robots that are supposed to have human personalities. And Marvin is a depressed robot that also depresses everybody else around him. Um, <laughs> and there, it's I loved the idea of Marvin because it also shows you like the potential for AI to go wrong, which I feel like Douglas Adams really captured. Very very yeah. well. Yeah. And so sort of, you know, we have this whole idea of uh, an idealized idea of what AI might be, but I feel like Marvin is a a very silly and funny and possibly like, you know, how things could probably go off the rails in terms of of programming AI and what people think that they want. So <laughs> sort of um you, you know, be careful what you wish for, cautionary tale. He's also an incredibly funny character um, throughout these books. So uh, I think that that I had to put him on the list um, for this discussion because he, he came to mind as just a very memorable robotic character. Good pick, Conrad. Um, and a funny pick. <laughs> uh, my number three comes from a show that I've talked about often, um, but I haven't really talked about this character too much. And so this is, of course, from the uh, rebooted uh, Battlestory Galactica, and I'm picking number six. Uh, oh, that's good. I put the Cylons on my honorable mentions um, because they were we've talked about them so often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Number six was in my mind as I was watching 
ex machina because you know these criticisms that we have raised about the sexuality the objectification those are concerns that didn't really come up for me when I was watching Battlestar Galactica. Hmm. And number six is a character who seemingly is, uh, could be a sex bot or a femme bot, um, this sort of femme fatale type of character. Um, and she is the very first character we see on this new show, um, Battles, uh, the Battlestar Galactica reboot. But the, the evolution of this character is one of a lot of agency and complexity and uh this uh played by trisha helfer played extremely well by trisha helfer this is such a memorable um sympathetic character that has a lot of complex motivation so um i I don't know if i can really say more about this character without kind of giving away spoilers and i don't want to do that um but i I think that's a great pick i mean you're right you're totally right yeah, it, it doesn't fall into the same traps and criticisms that I have of Ex Machina. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, my What's number your three, number three? Yeah. My number three was Data from Star Trek. Oh, that's my number two! My yeah, number two. so um, clearly, I don't think we need to say too much, but you watch Data's um, evolution throughout the series and then in the films, his quest to become human and what that means. And they use it as a discussion point and a plot point uh, through several of the episodes. But um, there is, you know, there's a, a great interaction between him and the Borg Queen where she gives him like a little slice of skin that he can actually feel emotions mm-hmm. or feel like the, the how skin feels and uses this as a temptation for him. Um, and I just think that he's an interesting character and you really become very tied to him and you want him to succeed. Um, but there's also part of you that misses a little of the old data when he finally does start to gain the, the more human piece. Um, like his way of looking at the world is very different. So it's just an interesting character and I loved how they used him throughout the series. There's a lot we could say about Data, and I have been um, a, a good friend of the show, John Champion, along with his buddy Ken Ray. They do the Mission Logs podcast, which if you're a Trekkie, you got to listen to this. They're going through from beginning to end every episode of Star Trek and look, looking at the, the morals, messages, and meanings of each episode. And they're on the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. I've been watching along with them. Uh, and revisiting a lot of these classic episodes of Data. And it's so clear from the get-go that this is such a fascinating character. And, I mean, it, 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 he is introduced as this Pinocchio. And, um, but what we see is, he, through his developing relationships and friendships with Jordy, uh, through the, the romance that he experiences, through the trial that he goes through, uh, as he begins to explore um, the holodeck and the Sherlock Holmes character, and he's trying to understand comedy and all of this, he is a, um, an android who goes through such an interesting developmental journey through the seven seasons of Star Trek and then the four films after that. Um, Just um, a character, he does what a a lot of robots and androids do so well in these stories is they reveal so many aspects of humanity 
and how they see humans and how humans interact with them. So, um, yeah, love Data. Love, love, love him. Cool. And so sad when uh, we had to say goodbye to Data. So I'll just just leave it at that. Not a good send-off for the character. but uh, So that was your number two. That was my number two. So what's your Um, number two? My number two are two... Actually, they're two robots, but kind of in the same vein, but they're Ash and Bishop from the Alien films. Um, And they're kind of opposing things because, you know, Ash is the, uh, you know, big spoiler, but people should know, Ash is the, the robot slash android that goes crazy and alien and then you know bishop is the one that kind of redeems things in aliens and so they were very cool characters in these films and provided uh some interesting interactions with the characters so i had to pick them uh no that's a good choice i uh i have uh, david from prometheus as honorable mention for me um the alien movies have done really nice job with these android characters and uh, it's been interesting to see how they are presented differently in all of these movies um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh, in the next alien that's coming out uh, which is actually a thing also that's happening and uh, the sequel to aliens which is going to completely disregard alien 3 and alien resurrection uh, by neil blancamp um so yeah, the the aliens films always do androids very well. They do, they do. Um, so that oh means my our goodness, that okay. means number one. So my number one is actually like, sort oh my of gosh, it's under a category of real robots. Oh, so oh, okay. I actually picked two, but you know, which is a bit of a cheat. But I thought that we should have something in the real world on here. Um, I don't know if you saw the. Uh, little the film on YouTube, but of the Boston Dynamics uh, big dog, which is super. No. Oh my gosh, it's super creepy, and it's it's this um, basically a a robotic. They call it big dog, but it's a robotic creature, if you will. Um, huh. You know, it's. Uh, it, I think it was put up in 2014. Okay. Um, and was it involved in the big dig? No, 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 no. But it's it's basically um, it, it, they're showing a, the video that they show is that it's um, uh, it's like it can go through like different terrain and things like that. And it is you have this um, super creepy feeling when you're watching it. Uh, just that uncanny valley when it's walking around. It, it's really um, it's cool. It's very cool, but it's also a little bit disturbing. Um, so the whole point of this robot is it the is one that, that kind of moves around like a big giant spider kind of thing. Yeah, but it's also the point of it is that it's supposed to be able to negotiate really difficult terrain. Yeah, um, and also carry different things, sort of like a pack mule, um, mm. and that's supposed to be you know assisting uh, soldiers and so that people don't have to necessarily be in as risk, you know, that kind of thing. Um, watching it in action though is like I, I was fascinated but also a little bit creeped out by it um and then the other on my list is basically robot surgeons the da vinci surgeon is probably one that people know about but they're you know nasa is developing a a different robotic surgeon and they can do things that human surgeons cannot um and i expect and hope to see many more advances 
in and, medical in medical uh, research and and technology. Th- this is such future. an exciting time, Conrad, because so much uh, there are a lot of surgeries now that are uh, physician assisted robotics, and there's a lot of stuff that is. Uh, like we have now had autonomous vehicles that have driven across the country and navigated all of it. Um, and the uh, in the past, there has always been a driver there and uh, to take over in case something happens. And we now have situations where the drivers never had to act on, on it. So, gosh, we're really charging forward here. And I think your number one pick symbolizes that. My number one pick is totally different and I I thought about putting some real robots here Um, you know I thought about the NASA rovers uh, spirit and opportunity yeah I thought of those too but come on go for it go for it not totally independent and then I thought about the Sony dog the um, Ibo or whatever it's called Um, but then you know this is a little bit in keeping with this week and events going on in this week but I had to pick R2D2 yeah, I I kind of thought you might go there, and I, that probably would have been my number one, but I felt like I needed to put something real on here. Well, we so. balance each other out. You've got my back, I've got yours. So yep. think about R2-D2. This guy, is it's so cute. It totally sidesteps the Uncanny Valley completely. Um, R2-D2 is so iconic. Um, he's now going to be on a plane uh, which was revealed this week as Star Wars Celebration is, is going on. Um, R2-D2 proved that robots can elicit strong emotions from us and communicate so much without having a face, without having really a language that we understand. And um, that is amazing. I think, you know, everyone out there wants an R2-D2 in their home. Um, and now, Conrad... R2-D2 might have a little competition with BB-8, um, the new robot uh, from, or the new droid from Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, as J.J. Uh, Abrams revealed this week, this new droid, which is kind of a ball and a head on top, mm-hmm. um, is an actual thing they created. It's not computer-generated imagery, but they actually found the technology that allows this rolling ball droid to roll and be real. So I think Star Wars has always done a really nice job by creating this culture where robots and droids are just a part of society, and the epitome of that is R2-D2. I am on board with you there, so that's cool. Well, I had a couple honorable mentions. Did you? Uh, yeah, I've got some quick stuff. Um, some of this stuff was on previous lists. So the Terminator, David from Prometheus, uh, Johnny Five, Short Circuit, and then, as I mentioned, NASA rovers, and then the Sony yeah. robot dog. I had R2-D2, Iron Giant, um, Gertie from Moon, uh, Daryl yeah. from that, that old film in the, you know, the 80s. Um, but, but I love robots. Robots are cool. So this week, where can people find you, Ali Matu? Um, people can find me on the internet. I am at Ali Matu on Twitter. You can also find me at BrainKnowsBetter.com, where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And last but not least, you can also find me at ThePsychShow.com, where I uh, make psychology fun and easy to understand. Conrad, how about yourself? Uh, this week, people can find me on Reanimated, the zombie podcast, reanimatedpodcast.com, or on Twitter, reanimatedpcast. I'm also on Twitter as at dieprince. Um, and also would love to hear what people think about um, 
if they go to see Ex Machina. I would love to hear what people's yeah. thoughts. Also, other people's top five robots. And um, can't wait to hear some of the lists people come up with. Yeah, you can uh, let us know what you think of all this stuff, you guys. Uh, you can contact us at NerdHour on Twitter. Go to NerdHour.com and comment on the webpage. Or you can email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Excellent. Well, so glad we got to talk about all of this together. So until next time. Live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs>